Hello there, welcome to a special edition of MLEX's podcast. I'm James Paniki from MLEX's Asia-Pacific team, and we're with you today to walk you through our new special report on the conviction in a London court of two Unoil executives, two of the three managers who had faced charges of bribing an Iraqi government official to win lucrative oil contracts. The outcome of the 10-week trial marks a much-needed victory for the country's Serious Fraud Office, or SFO, which has suffered a number of setbacks over recent years. Our special report covers the significance of this victory as well as the case itself. And to discuss the trial, I'm joined now from London by Annie Robertson, an MLEX reporter covering anti-bribery and corruption as well as financial crime, and Martin Coyle, MLEX senior correspondent reporting on anti-bribery and corruption. Annie, uh, to start with, there were three Unoil executives facing charges. What were the charges and who was ultimately found guilty? The charges surrounded making improper payments to an Iraqi government official um, in order to win business contracts within the oil sector. So there were two executives out of three that were found guilty on some of the counts. They were Ziad Akel and Stephen Whiteley. Um, Paul Bond was actually, um, he wasn't acquitted, but the jury were unable to reach verdicts on all of the counts against him. So the SFO has decided to pursue a retrial against him only. And Annie, we should point out that this uh, conviction was announced, in fact, back in June, at the end of June, but we haven't been able to report on this until now. Is that right? Yes, that is right. We should point out to our US listeners that there are, in fact, in the UK and many other countries, some reporting restrictions Uh, in place, which explains why there was a delay there. Now, uh, Annie, we are recording this on Monday, July the 20th, so ahead of any sentencing uh, decision. What's the maximum sentence that the two men are facing? So the maximum sentence that the two men are facing are seven years in jail and also an unlimited fine. Okay, then. So the the stakes are indeed very high. What was the main thrust of Ackle and Whiteley's defence. What did their defence lawyers say in court? So Ackle argued that the payments were legitimate security fees to protect the government official from associating with the Western company that is Unoil. And following the overthrow of Saddam Hussein, there was a big upheaval of law and order, which did threaten national security. But it also allowed for individuals to take advantage of the vulnerabilities within the oil sector, um, which is what Ackle was eventually found to have done. But Whiteley, on the other hand, denied knowing about any of the payments made to the Iraqi official um, and argued that he was tasked with just passing information on between colleagues and the Iraqi government. And what conclusion did the jury reach? So the jury found both Ackle and Whiteley guilty for conspiracy to make corrupt payments on some of the charges. They were unable to reach a full verdict um, on those two individuals. Paul Bond, on the other hand, the SBM offshore executive, was um, not acquitted as such, but the jury weren't able to find, um, they weren't able to reach a verdict on any of the counts against him. Arguably, one of the reasons why Whiteley and Ackle faced a more difficult threshold in proving themselves innocent is because a further Unoil executive pled guilty before the trial even started. So Basil Aljara pleaded guilty before the trial started and the jury were actually told about this within the SFO's opening arguments. So in the back of their mind they knew from the very beginning that one of their former colleagues had admitted wrongdoing 
and it was now up to Ackle and Whiteley to try and prove that they didn't know what was going on and that they were innocent of all the charges. Annie, I mentioned in my intro that the SFO has had a few setbacks in recent times. So how does the Unoil trial compare to other SFO court actions? So there are strong similarities in that all SFO trials are very international in nature. We have seen in previous trials that there are normally, and I think it's just by sheer coincidence, three defendants, all of which worked in the same company or in associated companies, and one international agent, whether they be based in Iraq or in South Korea or in China. So the, you know, the similarities that underpin these cases is that they do involve many countries spanning across the globe. But this particular case concerned the Asani family based in Monaco and, and the business executives who worked for their company, Unoil, across the Middle East, including Iraq, Kazakhstan and Angola. Okay, Martin, let's bring you into the conversation now. What is your take on this? Is it overall a good outcome for the SFO? Thanks, James. Yeah, I mean, considering past mishaps the SFOs had in terms of jury trials, um, you know, they had four defendants, one's pleaded guilty, they've got two guilty verdicts on uh, the others and one to go, which they'll they'll do in a retrial. That, you know, that that in itself is a good... um, is is a good result for the SFO. You know, if you look at previous trials, including the Tesco trial, and more recently the trial against Barclays uh, executives, which which failed quite spectacularly, this is a good result. However, um, James, it's been slightly overshadowed um, by news of Litwasowski, the SFO's head, was criticised um, pre-trial in a uh, hearing, which we could only talk about uh, after the trial's finished about her conduct in talking to a US-based representative of the Asani family who own Unoil, which um, kind of dampened down the headlines a little bit. We should be talking about a good news story for the SFO, but the headlines were kind of dominated by this um, contact Osofsky had with this Dave Tinsley uh, from the US. Yes. Well, well, let's talk about that. How damaging were those revelations? And and maybe just to start off with, just run us through what Lisa Azovsky was accused of doing. Well, um, pre-trial, one of the um, defendants tried to get the case against him kicked out on um, following uh, what the judge described as improper conduct uh, between Azovsky and Tinsley, who, as I said, represented the Asani family. Uh, That ultimately failed. um, But but there was a bit of a stink about this contact. And, you know, there's there's no sort of allegation of wrongdoing by Osofsky, but it just, uh, it's not really done in the UK to have this, um, you know, contact between uh, the head of the SFO and, and someone pre-trial. So it just didn't look very good and for the SFO. And the SFO has announced that it's going to be uh, conducting inquiry into, into what exactly happened. But are those criticisms likely to stick? I mean, where does this leave the SFO and Lisa Ozovsky? Well, uh, you know, the, the SFO's announced this inquiry, which will take place uh, after the retrial of uh, one of the defendants. So that, that could linger on for a bit. It, 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 it's just, you know, we should be talking about the SFO and how it's got a result here. But we, instead, we're, we're, we've, we've, they've kind of gone one, one step forward and two steps back. We're, we're now talking about 
you know this this contact and whether it should have happened on and, and what exactly happened or not so it you know it it sort of um dampened down the mood a little bit i think in terms of uh, what the sfo would be feeling now martin we also discovered that there was some conflict between the sfo and the us department of justice over the Asanis, uh, who are the, um, the the owners of Unoil, what happened exactly? This seems very unusual, doesn't it? Yes, I mean, I think you, you, it, it, it is unusual to, to to hear about this. I mean, often we get these, as as Annie talked about, a lot of these cases are these corruption cases are international. So you often get you know agencies working together, and we've we've had the Airbus settlement, which saw a three way settlement between the uh, US, UK, and France over corruption allegations um but but what happened here we 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 MLEX has got an insight into the the tussle between the UK and the US over in particular Saman Asani um essentially the SFO were pursuing him they had a they had him arrested in Italy on a European arrest warrant they had a date set with the attorney general who's the top lawyer in the UK uh top government lawyer in the UK to um to prosecute him uh and they believed uh, we understand that um, the US would stand back and allow the SFO to prosecute him, but uh, it seems the um, the US muscled in on the SFO, uh, gr- grabbed him essentially when he was in Rome, interviewed him for three days, and um, he, he's eventually um, decided to plead guilty in um, in the US, and he's going to uh, be sentenced in October. So uh, there was, basically there's a big fight uh, at the very top of the agencies. Um, the SFO is very, um, I would say, disappointed would be quite a polite way of uh, putting it. I mean, this this really raises the prospect of uh, law enforcement agencies and regulators competing with one another rather than working together to gain access to witnesses and those accused of crimes. I mean, it does point to uh, future problems, doesn't it? Well, exactly. That that was that was the um, problem. You, I mean, uh, as I said, you you kind of had these turf wars, um, but if that gets in the way of of bringing people to justice, and perhaps more importantly, if that if that clouds future cooperation between um, between agencies, that can only be a bad thing in terms of you know getting a these settlements over the line and b sort of cooperating in in getting suspects into jail. Annie, in a recent podcast, I discussed the impact of uh, COVID-19 on a trial in San Francisco. In this case, the judge was forced to adjourn the proceedings as a result of COVID-19. How was it able to resume during the lockdown? So after eight weeks of the trial being on hold, the judge was finally able to transfer the trial from Southwark Crown Court to the Old Bailey in London. Um, It was actually moved to one of the largest courtrooms there, to allow for sufficient social distancing between members of the jury and the legal teams, which satisfied the sort of safety precautions that everybody needed to take in light of government guidelines during COVID. Finally, Martin, um, we've talked about the SFO's um, ups and downs in recent years, but what does the success of this criminal trial mean for the agency? What happens next? Well, uh, it's it, it's a result. I mean, it, it's definitely good for them that they can get this this case over the line. Um, uh, hopefully, you know, it will give them a bit of uh, renewed confidence in, in in bringing these these types of cases following some some successes. The only thing is it, this um, this involvement with uh, 
uh, its head and uh, this uh, US based representative just just leaves a little bit of a a cloud over um, what's happened. But, you know, essentially, if you look at the trial itself, it, it, it it's definitely a good result for the SFO. Martin, Annie, thank you very much for your time. Thanks for your work over recent uh, months and in particular in compiling this special report. I look forward to reading it. Thank you. Thanks, James. Thank you very much. Annie Robertson and Martin Coyle cover anti-bribery and corruption from London for MLEX. And to download a copy of the special report, visit our website, mlexmarketinsight.com, click on the Insight Centre tab and head for our reports page. That's mlexmarketinsight.com. I'm James Paniki, Asia-Pacific Senior Editor here at MLEX. Thank you very much for sticking with us for this special edition of the podcast. We'll be back in your feed this coming Friday with the latest regulatory news from our team of reporters around the globe. Bye for now.